1: Oscar Mike Radio. Come in. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. the One, this is Oscar Mike. I have you. Charlie, over. From
0: the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Travis, and this is episode 21 of Oscar Mike Radio, December 8th, 2016, and I will get right to it today with the question of the week. And the question of the week has been asked to me by several people, civilian and non-Marine, are you excited about retired General Mad Dog Mattis being the new Secretary of Defense? Hmm, let me see how I am going to answer that question. How about, yeah, hoorah, simplify the whole nine yards. Yes, because for the first time in a very long time, we have a member of the of the uh, the military who's been on the ground, been in leadership, actually at the helm, not some civilian administrator, but a, a man who you know has commanded infantry units been in charge of large-scale deployments of, of forces, Marine and non-Marine, been in combat zones, seen firsthand what it takes to win in a the theater of battle. And now is going to be advising President Trump on how to effectively, you know, do our job, the military's job with the threats we're facing today. Hell yes, I'm excited. It's like, because to me, General Mattis is like this generation's Chessie Puller. Chessie Puller, who is near and dear to my heart. But he wasn't alive when I went in. And while I never met General Mattis personally while I was in, I mean, still. I mean, this guy tells it like it is. You know, drinks with his Marines. Takes care of his Marines you know, knows what it takes, smart, articulate, you know, in your face, and just doesn't give a care. His 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 field of care is barren. It, it's about accomplishing the mission and taking care of the the people, the men and women who are in harm's way. So I don't know how else I can say this, but hell yes, I'm excited. All right, when it comes time to lay the smack down on our enemies, foreign domestic, I'm confident that we're going to, you know, be worried about actually winning the war than, you know, pronoun assignment. I mean, I don't know. Do I want a guy who is more worried about gender, you know, equality or, or a guy who's more worried about making sure the soldiers, sailors, Marines, Army, Coast Guard people are all coming home safe and sound after laying the smack down on the enemy? I'll take the latter, not the former. So, yes, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Uh, In a perfect world, I would be able to get uh, General Mattis on Oscar Mike Radio, and I have a lot of questions for him. But for right now, this is a very good thing. I'm happy, very, very happy. No complaints in this department, and that is the question of the week. So, this week is um, a special... Not special. I shouldn't say that. But it's worth noting that uh, this, this show, the word portion of the Oscar Mike radio show, is focused on Pearl Harbor. It's the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor this week. And I wanted to talk about it not from a sense of historical facts and figures, but I remember... My grandfather's telling me about it and what it meant to them. So I'm going to try to spend this time to recall what they said to me. How they felt during their time in the Navy. They both served in the Navy. And what I feel we learned from it as a nation and how it changed us. So, they both chose, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while. They were born in the nineteen twenties. They joined the navy so they wouldn't get drafted. And it, it was it was not just a pragmatic choice. They really felt strongly about serving their country. Remember, back then there there were no. Uh, safe spaces or trigger alerts you did not have college kids petitioning to remove the american flag from campus you did not have athletes kneeling during the national anthem movie stars uh you know clark gable's a prime example you know who was a belly gunner in a b-17 over germany flew actual combat missions with his uh you know Bomber crew, and that's a dangerous job. You know that's that's what people did back then. So not only did they want to join and felt that it was their obligation to join, they they looked forward to it, but they wanted to have some kind of control over the process. So they chose to enlist rather than be drafted. So they went into the navy. And it's kind of funny, you know, they thought they would be going to some, you know, location on the Atlantic or Western seaboard. No, their their Navy boot camp was in uh, the Great Lakes region. Boot camp was li- literally uh, in North Chicago in the Great Lakes region. And that's what they did. So it wasn't until they got out of boot camp and went into their their job fields, and I believe... And it's been a while, but uh, they both served in the Memphis Millington area doing, you know, ship work. They, one of them was a, a gunner's mate helping to load the big cannon that fired the shells. The other one was a um, communications uh, ensign, uh, not ensign, um, petty officer. That's what he uh, got out of the Navy as they did Morse code between ship-to-ship communications and shore. So in the movies, when you see the guy who's actually, you know, um, flashing the lights and the other ships answering back, that's what one of my grandfathers did. The other one, you know, was a part of a naval gunnery crew. And they would never tell me if they ever took down another enemy ship Neither one of them served in the Pacific. They served primarily in the Atlantic. And by the time they got in, um, you know u-boats were still a threat, but not a huge threat. So if they ever saw combat, uh, they never told me and never really talked about it. But what they did talk about, you know, one of their real you know reasons for joining, much like the people who, joined the military after 9-11 was, you know, they felt obligated, again, to do their part to defend their country. You know, here they were in, you know, Midwestern. Both grandfathers were, you know, as Midwesterns they come. You know, one lived in Indiana and one lived in Illinois. And that's, that's growing up in Illinois, that's, you know, baseball apple pie and you know church on Sunday and that's what that's what they did back then but you know half a world away you know the Japanese decided to strike a real blow at America first and you know they were upset they felt like they had been you know attacked that provocation and they felt no differently if one of their buddies had been attacked you know by you know somebody else or if you know a, fa- a family member had been you know attacked by somebody else they wanted to do whatever they could to defend their country and they both said the same thing you, you know people from all different walks of life came together you know uh, my grandpa uh, you know, Paul said that when he went to the Naval uh, Recruiting Station, it was jam-packed with, with guys his age and older of all ages, all walks of life. You know, there were, you know, farm kids, you know, Polish, German, you know, uh, you know, Swedish descent kids, all the way up to banker's sons and lawyer sons and, 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 you know, kids who were, you know, 16 and 15 trying to join up. Line on their recruitment papers so they could join up. I mean, it was a a real mix of of all different groups of people, which was similar to my Marine Corps experience, but not as many. I mean, you know, there just wasn't a lot of people going into the Marine Corps uh, when I went in. It was, you know, right between, you know, Desert Storm and Iraq. So it was kind of a lull. But, um, you know, they all went to boot camp together. They all became good friends. They all did different things. They all kind of lost touch after boot camp. And, you know, they began their naval careers. And they all understood that, you know, they're going to get on these boats because, you know, they had watched what was going on in the Pacific where, you know, Wake Island and the Japanese had, you know, pretty much had their way with us for the first you know six or seven months after uh you know december 7th 1941 i mean they they had done their 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 homework and were ready to do this long haul and so they they joined the navy with the realization that they may not come home and that they may have seen their uh friends family and loved ones for the last time as they you know got on their uh ships to go out and and do what they had to do but they, they weren't deterred by it they they never talked about how you know fear overcame them or that they felt like they were doing the wrong thing or that it was an uh, immoral or just action they were taking they were defending their country and it was just something they did in other words they didn't need you know a huge pat on the back it was just you know hey we were attacked there's an enemy trying to kill us And it's my job and my obligation as an American and a son to go out there and defend my country, and that's what I'm going to do. And for the most part of it, you know, until I sat both of them down, you know, I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old when they finally felt like I was old enough to kind of understand some of this, that they actually started telling me about, you know, shipboard life and what it was like being in the middle of the ocean with absolutely no other soul around them when they were out on patrol and realizing that you know a week before German U-Boat had you know gone open season on a, on a, on a, on a you know destroyer group and, and friends they knew died and again it was hard getting that kind of information out of them because at that point in time in their lives one time had healed old wounds they had you know moved on from a lot of that and then you know, they just didn't feel like it was that big a deal to talk about. And I would pester them with questions. I'd, you know, ask them about, you know, what it was like when, you know, uh, you had to fire the gun, how accurate it was. I would ask about the food and the sleeping and showering. And, you know, they told me they would take showers with salt water. I'm like, really? And, and, and they're like, yeah, their ship sometimes didn't have the capability to process you know seawater it for um you know showers it you know every bit of seawater that was done that way was for drinking <laughs> i couldn't imagine that i mean you know i i just maybe that's why i didn't join the navy i'm, I'm just couldn't take a salt water shower but you know they did it and, and you know they talked about you know it's in the middle of winter time and you know the the they're serving watch and the ship is pitching and rolling in a storm and you know it's just a brutal brutal time alone and then the constant threat of German U-boats and other destroyers trying to hunt them down um, you know I, I really tip my hat to them and what was going on in our country and that's kind of what I you know thought about this week it's 75 years later and you know there's still lessons we can learn from how we as a nation responded to that crisis you know there were a lot of things going on domestically at that time you know world war one had come and gone and you know the industrial revolution was you know fully underway and we had factories going we were becoming a more you know, less a farm-based, agrarian-based kind of nation to more of a technology-based, you know, automotive manufacturing-type nation, and um, you know this 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 instance where we were attacked on that day changed everything. You know, uh, my grandfather's told me, hey, you know, a lot of the stuff that we used in World War II was built by women. Women built the majority of the bombers, the, the, you know, the guns, the ammunition, all that stuff, you know, as they entered the workforce to take up for, you know, all the men that had to, you know, join the military to fight. I, I can't, I can't fathom that, that there were so many men that, that joined the military and fought and died and came back that, you know, women stepped in and took up those jobs to get the job done. And they talked about those changes. They talked about the changes in the fact that all of a sudden the world got smaller. You know, and the fact that uh, it was years before, you know, my grandfather felt comfortable buying anything that came from Japan. And my one grandfather uh, thought it was absolute uh, heresy that I was even looking at a Japanese motorcycle. That I would even consider buying one. And if your tools did not say craftsman on them, you weren't American. Um, and, And, you know, my grandmother, you know, told me that was all because of his, you know, World War II military experience. Certain things stuck with him, just like certain things from my Marine Corps experience stuck with me. But the thing they've said is that the nation came together. And Americans from all walks of life, like I said, you know, you had movie stars sign up to you know join the military and fight right along other other guys to uh, to get the job done. And you know, I don't I don't see that happening a whole lot anymore. I know there's a lot of of, of movie stars in Hollywood who support the troops, like Gary Sinise, and I'm very appreciative of what he does, but. I don't think you'd see you know many people now signing up to go sit in a belly turret of a B-17 bomber and possibly you know expose themselves to not coming home. And I think it's important that on this day that we take a moment and remember, and, and when our kids ask us questions about what happened, that we can articulate you know what that meant to our country and what it means now and I think unfortunately the the most recent thing that we can go back to at least I can is what happened after 9-11 where all of a sudden a lot of petty differences and squabbles went away and we decided to come together as a nation and and help those in need and and support those who put themselves in harm's ways for us excuse me put themselves in harm's way for us so Again, I didn't want to spend a lot of time going over, you know, facts and figures and, and historical facts and figures and anecdotes. I'm just trying to at this point in my life I'm forty four, remember what happened, you know, thirty years ago as I'm sitting there with my granddad as he's smoking his pipe and my other one as he's in his, you know, international scout and we're driving to the hobby shop and you know, they tell me about their time in the Navy. And why they joined the Navy and what that entailed around uh, this this event that happened to our country. And that's the Word of the Week. And let's remember all those who uh, perished on uh, Pearl Harbor Day. So, I get a text from Grunt. Moving on to the Complaint Department, sponsored by Pogue and Grunt. If they're not complaining, they're not happy. And Pogue's not really affected by this. Grunt and I are. There is a new poncho liner, a new woobie coming out. And I'm probably going to do an entire episode on this because it's one of my favorite pieces of gear from the Marine Corps. And what it was designed to do was to be tied to the inside of a poncho for rain duty to warm you up well he like me and a lot of other soldiers and marines have discovered that this thing is a fantastic general purpose blanket whatever i mean give me my you know watch cap and a poncho liner and some water and i can survive you know i love mine i can't get enough of it And so it's with great consternation that we understand that there is a new one being made to replace the old one. And he was fired up. Oh my God, I can't believe they're making a new poncho liner. That's messed up, dog. I'm like, what do you mean? They can't change the poncho liner. No way. No way. I look it up and yes, way it is. Yes, they're they're making a new one. It's going to have a zipper on it. Now I, I try to withhold judgment, but I'm I'm like, you know, it's not really broken, so why fix it? So he's not happy and I'm not happy, and it's gonna require a full episode to go over my undying, everlasting love for this piece of cloth. Because I have one now. I'm probably going to get another one. And like I said, give me my poncho liner, my you know knit hat, uh, and, and uh, my, my day pack with some water and snacks in it. And I can survive out in the woods no problem. It's also a great blanket to wear when I'm watching football or hanging out and that they're changing it is not making us very happy at all. So he and I both have something to complain about. Pogan, on the other hand, is an Air Force guy, and he wouldn't know what roughing it actually is unless the AC goes out. And that is the complaint department's complaint of the week. So I'm going to wrap this up this week with uh, my unit shutout. And this is not really to a particular unit. Um, This is to a person. And I started talking with him a week and a half ago about uh, what he's doing. And his name is Timothy Montjoy. He, up until November 30th, was a technical sergeant in the US Air Force. He joined in 1996 and got out uh, this last November, last week, as a matter of fact. Deployed worldwide several times, served overseas several places, uh, did a lot of stuff with communications and communication protocols in the Air Force, which is very important to keep planes and personnel moving in the right direction. But the coolest thing about him, and we're going to have him on the show, I think February 9th, 2017th exclusively, is to talk about his nonprofit he started with his daughter in the Air Force called operation teammate and, and this is just a very cool thing to see uh, he he sets up these events where kids can go and, and participate in sporting events with sports teams minor league college uh, the NBA and and now the NFL and it's a great time for kids whose you know parents are either deployed um, you know can't be with them for an extended period of time or in in, in the worst case uh, th- those kids are survivors you know gold star survivors so I don't want to give away too much too soon but I have enjoyed getting to talk with uh, mr. Montjoy and, and well I'm gonna call him Tim but it's gonna be a great show he, he's a great guy he he just got award veteran of the day by the VA and if you look up his um, you know, nonprofit on Facebook, and I'll have the links in the uh, blog post for this week's episode on Oscar Mike Uh You can uh, get an idea of what he's all about. So, that is this week's show, episode 21. This is kind of a seminal time of the year with uh, Pearl Harbor Day and the holidays coming up, and I thank you for listening to Oscar Mike Radio. You can catch me live, like I said, on 8 p.m. Thursday night on oscarmicradio.com live. And then I will have the episode on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Where you can subscribe and download, in some cases, the episode, depending upon what you have. If you have any questions, you can email me at travis at oscarmicradio.com. And this is Echo 3 P-Dog signing off. Oscar Mic Radio, out. Off to Mike Radio, over and out. (laughs) Oscar Mike Radio, do you copy? That's the one actual. I have you five by five. Oscar mic Radio is in route. Copy that sinister one coming at you from the city of Champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. Da, da, da. Along. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio. Veteran in action. On the move, on mission, always. Off we go.